To another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Anna Chazinski, Andrew Hunter Murray, James Harkin, and exciting special guest. It is the podfather himself, Richard Herring, who is joining us. Uh, we're very excited to have him here. Uh, doubly excited because we got the chance to go on his show, Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, which will be going out next week, the 24th of july if you're listening to it as this show goes out this friday it's a week from now if not find the 24th of july from richard herring um and uh and and so much more i mean you're going to be doing the podcast in edinburgh yeah i'm at the edinburgh fringe at the newtown theater 1 30 pretty much every day throughout the fringe and i'm off on tour around the country uh, in the autumn and probably onwards beyond into 2020 i think so yeah go to richherring.com slash gigs and you can find out where i'm coming amazing and uh most importantly of all you've got a fact so we're going to start with fact number one and that is Richard Herring. Here's my fact. Adolf Hitler had size 13 feet. <laughs> which I discovered this week uh, on my own podcast uh, because I, I'm obsessed with the film The Cobbler starring oh, what, Adam, Adam Sandler? Sandler. Yeah. In which Adam Sandler inherits a magical cobbling machine. If you're in interested which, in this, Dan, just listen to any of Richard's <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> it's in mentioned which, literally every week. In which, if he puts on the feet of the shoes of someone whose shoes have been cobbled on that machine, he turns into that person. Oh, my wow. Which is fine. So I asked people who they would turn into, but you've got to have the same size feet. So it's a, quite a hard question to answer, oh. unless you know. And Especially my guess, for Adolf Hitler. Yeah, well, my guest said, you know, how, who knows how, you know, how big was Adolf Hitler's feet, for example. And we didn't know, but then someone Googled it, and it was size 13, which just seems... It seems big. Massive big. for uh, what I thought was a very short man but he's five foot eight five foot nine something like 165 centimeters but size 13 is like gigantic yeah Yeah. Stephen Fry has size 13 feet does Does he he? and he's what six foot six and something like that Usain Bolt he has size 13 feet is he tall Ah. Usain Bolt yeah Famously, yeah. yeah. Is he? It's yeah, hard yeah. to tell because they're quite He's just far so away. fast, you can't <laughs> see him. Well, Meg Ryan, who is, I believe, the same height as Hitler, um, five foot eight. <laughs> I don't right. think that's the brush we can tar her with. <laughs> it's on her CV, it's the top line. <laughs> I believe I'm right saying she's five foot eight, and she has big feet. She's got right. 11. She wears size 11 shoes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is she? That's huge. Is that a US 11? Yeah, it will be. Oh, Which, hang on, that's completely different. I take back a lot of my. Is surprise. the US eleven? Well, I don't know if the Adolf Hitler thirteen is US or Europe or English. Isn't there somewhere? Isn't there? Is it the USA or Europe where they're in the 40s? That's yeah, that's, so that's, so Europe. that's European well, size. I think the American size is about uh, one different. Well, yeah, or they're 0.5 or one different. Okay, but what if Hitler's size feet is in the European measurement and actually they were like pins? <laughs> <laughs> like were that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Rich, what is your sauce for this fact? Well, Google. Okay, but then it did, Google just says <laughs> what size are Adolf Hitler's feet? It says thirteen. <laughs> One says thirteen and a half. Okay, uh, and uh, then I found a fifty-six page medical report from the CIA that was based on the doctor who had seen Hitler over from nineteen thirty-six to his yeah. death, and it had a lot of facts on it. And did I read it say most, how many balls he had. It, it, well, that was that was I was interested to look into that, and I, it says there's nothing wrong with his genitalia, okay. which is. Uh-huh. Uh, he yeah. had a farting problem from that medical report, as right. far as I could tell. He, yeah. Um, yeah, he was very flatulent. Was he? Uh, gastral problems in his tummy. Catharal inflammation he had as well, so he had a very blocked nose. Oh, oh what a shame. No. No? <laughs> no, I don't think. 
<laughs> I don't think we're making that noise. Not yet. <laughs> Not about Hitler. Poor, poor old Hitler. <laughs> he was. Uh, I did his BMI in 1936. He came out at 22.5, which is a pretty good BMI. Oh. I think that's. I think that's my BMI. Is it? Yeah, you got the same as Hitler. It's not the top line of your CV, though. Isn't it? I'm afraid it is. Um, but it's kind of weird because you start. I started looking up the historical figures, and you can't find anyone's foot size. It's something that's not really recorded very. Really? Yeah, you're right. You can it's... find celebrities sometimes if they've got big or small feet. Yeah, but that's. Um, you tried to look up a lot of celebrity foot sizes, and you just found a load of fetish sites. You were well, telling it just us. there are lots of people who have these websites where they're interested in celebrities' feet, uh, and I wish it's you. Weird I... how your voice. Slightly broke when you said that. Uh, well, I'm, oh, I'm, now, I'm now embarrassed. <laughs> I, I was reading about um, celebrity shoes, and there's a little theory. Uh, so I don't know if we can class um, Hitler in the celebrity bracket. He's a, he's a yeah, we can put him in there, yeah. right? So um, celebrities, when they <laughs> so go, he's not going on celebrity. You know, get me out of here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, but he would now. That's the point. All those that kind of level of politician. Think? That's the way they become successful. He would be all over. Do you this think he's yeah. like the Harry Redknapp? Like, I think he's like the Anne Whittacombe of his, uh, of <laughs> yeah. his day. <laughs> yeah. So um, a thing that is uh, that I read that certain celebrities do when they're going on the red carpet is they often wear much larger shoes than their foot size. That's a common thing in Hollywood because, well, often when you're going out, you're wearing new shoes, aren't you? And you haven't broken them in. So Mm. if you're wearing a shoe that fits your foot perfectly, you're going to get blisters. You're going to mess up your feet. So when you're on the red carpet, there's often photos of celebrities who've got huge gaps at the back of their heels if it's if it's a woman wearing <laughs> what? heels. No, yeah. and they would just fall off constantly on the red carpet. It's all an episode of Cinderella every time someone walks down it. <laughs> it's just it's uh, J Lo does it. Yeah, it's a it's a thing. No, it's a thing. Wow. Okay. Apparently, you know our, our feet. The more you say it, the more likely it will be to be true. <laughs> if there are any celebrities out there, please write in and let us know. There are no celebrities listening to this show. No, that's absolutely right and quite right from them. Um, Our feet are getting bigger, apparently, which I find really weird. But there was a survey done in 1951, I think, and it looked into people's shoe sizes as well as other stuff. And apparently the average shoe size for a woman then was size three, which is insane because I don't know any women with size three feet. Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue. Ah. I don't know her, though. (laughs) She's probably listening, though. So is it true that we're evolving that way because maybe only big-footed women are having sex and having children? Yeah, big-footed women became incredibly sexy in the late 50s. And, yeah, we bred out the small-footed ones. It was a great triumph. The theory is, uh, the explanation I read, is that we're getting fatter and so we're pushing ourselves down Come on our on, feet Anna. and we're flattening our arms. Well, no, it's it is, true. It is, it is to do with body size increasing, they think. I actually think those studies must have also been flawed because I don't believe shoe size has gone up three sizes. So now the average for a girl is size six. Um, but it's but, not like we've all got tiny skeleton feet and massive flabby fatten. It's not about the fatness. It's about the arch being pressed oh, down. And it, and sort of, it sort of spreads out a bit. So you do get, you get wider feet as well, yeah, for example. Yeah, yeah. And also the other reason is better nutrition. Like if, yeah. you're a tri- if you're a child and you have better nutrition, you will just be bigger, and that means your feet will be bigger as well. Okay. Dan, you were like this. They, one retailer called it Bigfoot Britain. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that is very cool. I did do some... I got sidetracked doing Bigfoot research while I was <laughs> doing this. Well, what? the links came up. I had to read it. You know, the Anything. investigation continues. Um, Wait, does Bigfoot actually have big feet? Yeah. yeah, hence his name. Yeah. Well, I've never actually pictured his feet. <laughs> Does he have a big feet for a Bigfoot? That's the question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the 50s, Bigfoot had, was just called f- Foot. Foot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know who had the biggest feet of all time? No. Uh, it's the tallest man of all time who was called Robert Wadlow. 
Uh, he had size 37 Ooh. or 36 UK size feet. He had real problems finding shoes, obviously, because he right. was the only person yeah. in the world with this size <laughs> shoes. Um, and he, um, he... Just imagining him walking past a Clark's sale and thinking, maybe this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he, when he was at high school, he wanted to play sport. He wanted to play basketball because he thought he could stand next to the hoop and just put his hand over the hoop mm, yes. and stop anyone from scoring. Yeah. Um, but he couldn't get training shoes made quickly enough so he could never play because oh. his feet kept growing. Well, he's only standing by the thing. He just... <laughs> Just <laughs> <laughs> some socks. I imagine. Is there a rule that says you have to wear shoes? There must be. It must, must be, be worth it. Building, though. making those yeah. shoes in order to have that guy blocking the. You're gonna we can win every game. <laughs> yeah. There could be some six-year-old. At worst, playing. it's gonna be nil-nil. <laughs> Yeah, you'd squeeze your feet in. He should have done an ugly yeah. sister. You can bend them over. And that yeah. apparently most people do. Surveys always say that something like 40% of women say they wear smaller shoes than they should. Which, again, I'm very sceptical about because well, I don't really know anyone who doesn't wear their shoe size. But uh, do they just claim that their shoes are smaller than they are to seem more dainty? No, because that... No, because they're, they're saying I've got big feet, but I'm wearing small shoes and it's really painful. Yeah, you and can't go to a shop and say I'm size three and they're just shoving it on. <laughs> <laughs> are you shot? No, no, definitely three. Well, they do. That's the idea because people that? are embarrassed. So apparently um, you reach a ceiling at nine as a woman. I don't know what it is as a man. And however large your feet are above that, you just go for a size nine because it's too embarrassing. Um, so a lot of oh, people are I in. think men just like to have bigger feet don't they they pretend that they're bigger because it's more masculine to have bigger feet mm. because of that fictional correlation thing yes yeah. it's really interesting because I, I sort of vaguely assumed that, that there was something in the foot size to, um, to penis size thing and lots of studies have just found nothing um, no correlation rather <laughs> <laughs> Nothing there. Um, it's all based on studies um, where, so for example, a study of uh, 104 men by University College London. They measured penises when both soft and gently stretched, right. and they okay. found no correlation. I actually measure my penis on one of those shoe sized machines. <laughs> what are you fitting it for? <laughs> You've been kicked out of so many Clark's <laughs> branches. Okay, who around this table would go back in time to kill Hitler if you could? Um, Anyone? Uh, yeah, Andy, you would yeah, or not? Yes, I yeah, would. Rich, would. I wouldn't mean? because I understand the butterfly effect. If you uh, killed Hitler, none of us would exist. Yeah, I read a that's Ben Alton true. novel where but, this was oh, the... Uh, but like, all of those, n- none of the novels, don't get me into alternate histories. None of them work. If you change one thing in history, certainly that long ago, of that magnitude especially then yeah. nobody is the same nobody yeah, who's alive yeah. now would be alive because different people would have hooked up different people would be alive and dead there'd be different children none of us would be because my yeah. parents both met up over the love of Hitler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they were both buying Nazi memorabilia, that weren't they? Yeah. Just how many people went to war in the Second yeah. World War with one partner who then ended up having children with someone else because they were dead. That's the first thing. But even yeah. you know, but yeah. just even if you meet someone a day after or have sex two minutes later, that's a different person coming out. Yes, mm. true. Everything I just changed. don't think that this podcast is about discussing these huge philosophical questions you've posed, James. We're, okay. Well, can I I'm tell you? I'm already getting weirded anyway. out. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact is that men are more likely than women to say that they'll go back to kill Hitler, and the reason according to psychologists is men prefer utilitarian ideas and women prefer deontological arguments so men are more likely to do things that help everyone and women are more likely to think well actually there are moral reasons why I shouldn't do this particular thing never minding what the outcome is but also it's always baby Hitler 
Yes. Whereas if you go back and kill Hitler as a baby, yeah. and women are going to go, no, I'm not going to do that. Whereas I, I think a few men would like to kill, wouldn't mind killing Sorry, babies. Can I clarify? I'm not in that camp. <laughs> <laughs> I would go back and honourably challenge Hitler when he was at his absolute physical peak. <laughs> well, what what's God's that going to do us? You're just yeah. going to get well, annihilated. How, how old did you let Hitler get to before you kill him? Um, I'd say I don't, I, after his First World War service, yeah, I would say... It's probably too late because then yeah. the Nazi party... I think you should aim for probably when you could just about beat him at your current... So maybe when he's about 14. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I reckon you could beat 14-year-old Hitler. Yeah. He was pretty weak. His, his nasal, he couldn't breathe properly. Well, yeah, yeah. With those feet, though, he, exactly. just, he just crushed you, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, sorry, just to clarify, I would actually like to go back to Weimar, Germany, and improve the social uh, and economic conditions to the point at which... Hitler w- had, had, no, get a chance. had no grievance yeah. to exploit in the Such German Such a psyche. shame I'm going to cut this out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hitler, was, um, Hitler was very unfashionable, was apparently. Um, so I was looking into his clothes, shoot, starting with shoes and working oh. my way up. He was in 1946, I was going to say. He was very unfashionable <laughs> in 1946. But before then, he was quite the fashion. I'd argue he's still out of fashion a little bit. <laughs> yeah, his reputation's never back. come back, has it? <laughs> <laughs> um, he, uh, even in his day, didn't wear very fashionable clothes. So he had a sort of personal um, valet or valet uh, who despaired of him, apparently. There's this really weird account from the valet of trying to dress Hitler and saying that he'd lay out new clothes for him every day that would suit him and then Hitler always refused to wear them. But then weirdly um, Nazi chic, as in wearing Nazi clothes, is a thing that's not outrageous in some parts of the world. So I didn't realise this, in parts of Asia, so in Thailand, sometimes it gets to the news here that someone's got in trouble in Thailand because a class of school children will be wearing SS uniforms. And it does happen, and it doesn't have the same association as there as it does here. And there was an interview with someone in Thailand, I think, saying it's not really taught as an ideology, it's taught as an objective piece of history. And so Nazi outfits have become fancy dress. So it's fancy dress, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, whereas they wouldn't wear like a Mao Zedong hat. That that would be right. very upsetting. I used to wear that in Sydney. What? what? Hitler clothes? No, not Hitler clothes. Um, <laughs> we no. were only in Sydney last year. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are, Prince Harry? <laughs> no, I went when I did a trip back to uh, China when I was eighteen. I bought in Tiananmen Square one of those Mao communist hats. Jesus Christ, um, Dan! That is a whole combination of bad things yeah, that you shouldn't have done. I know. Um, and I well, this is what's worse. I went camping for the Labour Party um, just before I left the country to move here and it was a really hot day and I only had one hat so I wore that hat um, while I was handing out the leaflets and yeah they they asked me to stop and they haven't been in power since (laughs) I can't picture the Mao Zedong it's a green like little army hat with the red star on it okay I do know the one you mean yeah 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 Yeah, no no it's not like I love Mao Zedong kind of yeah, the, Cap. The, the SS uniforms don't say I heart Hitler. That <laughs> no. wasn't the uniform. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> uh, I had a Hitler moustache for a year or a toothbrush moustache for a year. As you well. did? From my show. That yes. was the first time I ever saw you. It was, was on the I Got News for You, dressed yeah. sort of looking like Hitler. Yeah. yeah. Why was that again? That you uh, well, that? I was trying to reclaim the moustache for comedy because Charlie Chaplin had it before uh, Hitler. Yes. And I was just interested in why that symbol has taken the brunt of Hitler's you know disapproval because yeah. there was lots of things he did for having a BMI of 22 point whatever that wasn't yeah. <laughs> that's not the bit you're not in trouble for that so why and that moustache was very popular before Hitler and Hitler obviously popularised it as well but mm. a lot of com- a lot of comedians had it first so I was sort of just interested in the symbolism of it but then I also then had it for a year which was a, uh, a did disconcerting you, did you get 
very bad reactions from some people? Or? Not really. I mean, the worst thing that happened, I mean, most people laughed at you just the second you'd passed. A few people looked a bit shocked right. and upset. But the worst thing that happened was I was on Shepherd's Bush Green at about midnight one night walking along, and a man was coming out of a white van. He saw me and went, well done, mate, you're a man after my own heart, which was, uh, was just chilling. Like, you know, he yeah. was sort of going, if only I was as brave as you, I would display my Nazism. <laughs> Uh, on my face. Well, maybe uh, he was a Charlie Chaplin fan. It could have been. So, you know, that's it. It was, all about, it was all about not making assumptions. But the show was about the importance of voting and, and an attempt to stop the rise of right wing politics. So, you know, I'm glad comedy works so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you it's just reminded day. everyone of what they were missing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Chuzinski. My fact this week is that in the indigenous Mexican language of Chalcatonga Mixtec, it is impossible to ask anyone a question. How did the translation of your emergency questions book go down say, there? I didn't sell any copies out there. Now it's explained. <laughs> That's what it is. Okay, explain. This is the. Is, sorry, was that a? No. That was a question. Sorry, that explains it. It wasn't meant to be so aggressive. <laughs> so Anna, why don't you tell us what you mean? Yeah, there was an order. Um, so these are researchers at a place or a company called Idibon, which is a language processing company, and they sort of coded, uh, apply code to 239 languages to look at how how they worked so to look at things like, like how you order subjects and objects and verbs and how a language makes clear things like an order or a negative or a positive or a question and Chalconog Mixtec uh, is it's spoken by about 6,000 people in Mexico and it was determined to be the most unusual language in the world so it, it shares fewer things with any other language than any, than any other languages and there was no mechanism for showing you're asking a question so there's no way of saying are you alright Right, as opposed to you're you're all right. But there's also there's <laughs> <laughs> no difference between saying are you all right and you are all right. Yeah, not, you're a bit of all right. Yeah, right. they're not accidentally cracking onto each other constantly. <laughs> I was just trying to sex it up. But right. there's no way. There's no way of saying to someone, um, "Do you fancy a drink?" Would you like to get married? And then would you like to have some children? Which is presumably why only 6,000 people (laughs) in the world speak it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to just kind of... Do you, Andrew Hunter-Murray, take this woman? Sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. It's very demanding because it's always... It would all be, you fancy a drink. You want to marry me. Yeah. So so just the only people who are getting married are are very aggressive men and very pliant women. Okay, I agree. (laughs) Why can't they just go up at the end of the statement to make a question? That's why can't they... I know they do tone. But that's with that. I mean, the problem in the UK is that people do that with non-questions now, don't they? they go, yeah, you go. Oh, yeah. Just everything goes up at the center the, at the end of the sentence. But that would be the solution for these people to be able yeah. to ask questions. But I guess it's not a problem. I guess they could. But, but they, they don't, don't want, mind. They don't want to ask questions. They don't want mm. to know. They're well, very uncurious. Yeah. There must be one question they need, which is, are you asking or are you telling? That's the question. <laughs> 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 that's made for them. <laughs> that's all you need, you're right. <laughs> but that's one of the things which makes English so weird is that we flip order to make a question. Yes. It is true. It, is it true? Yeah. yeah. And then Japanese has, for example, the word you just add. You just add a particle, and that is a magical transforming particle. So yeah. ka is that in Japanese. So so des ka is, it means is that so. Yeah. But and it, that's mm. much more common, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I think only 2% of languages do the word switching. Dutch right. is another one, very unusual. So we are quite special in that way. Yeah. Do you know what the second least weird language is? Least weird? Yeah, so the most normal after Hindi. Hindi's the most normal. I'll say Welsh. There's a language called Puripecha, 
uh, which is another Mexican language. And the third um, least weird language, so the third most normal language. I'll say Welsh. It's yeah. You're gonna keep firing, are you? <laughs> I think it's gonna be Mexico, Mexico, Mexico for a while, and then Wales eventually. I'm afraid it's Ainu, which we've talked about uh, before, but it's spoken by about ten people. Um, that's so Japanese that's in Japanese um, in Hokkaido in yeah. Japan. So that's oh. one of the most normal languages spoken by about ten people. Do you and know then Hindi is the most normal language, and that's spoken by what uh, nearly a billion people. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. Uh, Hindi has one unusual feature that they found and that is something called predictive possessions so you can say um, Anna has a glass of wine Mm -hmm. or you can say the glass of wine is Anna's but you can't say Anna's glass of wine in Hindi you can't have the possessive um, thing so that's the only thing that's weird in Hindi have you guys heard of uh, the Indonesian Riau dialect no No. this is a great one so uh, this is claimed by uh, the linguist John McWhorter to be the most economical language in the world so it's there's a phrase I am makam, and that just means chicken eat, okay. But it can also mean variously the chicken is eating, chickens are eating, a chicken is eating, the chicken is eating, the chicken will be eating, the chicken eats, the chicken has eaten, someone is eating the chicken, oh my God. <laughs> someone is eating with the chicken. Chicken that is eating, and where when the chicken is eating, and a few others. Who's eating with the chicken? Yeah, that's they, a... they eating the same stuff as the chicken, or are they just eating... <laughs> they packing up seeds? ordering at a restaurant as well. And I'll have the chicken. Oh well. Sorry, uh, you've just been eaten by a chicken. <laughs> it's a language of sitcoms, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to eat with the chicken, and you killed it. <laughs> so it's wow. economical, but no one has any idea what anyone else means. I think so. Yeah. Great. <laughs> That's incredible. The really cool language I like is the Yupno language in Papua, which is where everything is conceived, everything directionally, when we'd say uh, go over there or whatever, is conceived in terms of uphill and downhill. Um, so, yeah. for instance, if you're talking about where, um, where the door is, you'll say, oh, it's just uphill. Or if I was saying, oh, whereabouts is James now? Oh, he's just downhill. And well, everything is uphill uh, and downhill. Do you, so I am, if I'm downhill from you... Yeah. How do I know whether I'm uphill or downhill? So there they have, uh, because it's quite a small place, they have a certain geography where everyone kind of knows where the highest point in the island is, in the area is. Everyone knows where the lowest point. If you're talking about time, then the... Oh, the fireplace is always downhill, apparently. So if you're in a room, you have to check where the fireplace is. So I guess behind me at the moment is the Thames. So all of the land kind of goes towards the Thames. So you could argue that I'm downhill of you, even if I'm not quite downhill. Yeah, unless there's a fireplace on the opposite side of the room. And then that trumps the Thames. <laughs> and then you're uphill or something. Uh, fireplace is always the trumping card. I right. think the fireplace is the trump card, yes. Right. Um, unless you're talking about time, in which case the past is always downhill and the future is uphill. Features uphill so and passes down. Say, okay, yeah. I used to be a fireplace salesman. <laughs> Where? On the Thames. <laughs> there was and an Aboriginal language which I was reading about that I didn't write down, but uh, there's that they judge everything by north, east, south, and west. That's the direction of everything. Yeah. Wow. Rather I think, yeah, that's a lot of Aborig- Australian yeah. Aboriginal language. Is that language, easy to know, though? Like, would well, you, you know have to way? know where you are. You have to know mm. where you are all the time, at all times. You can't do any other directions than north, east, south, and west. So you- but wow. there was a study where they, or they didn't investigation where they looked at an aboriginal person who had then gone to a different country and they realized that instinctively that person still knew always what was north east south and no west way. so what? they are instinctively oh. orienting them that themselves. iphone not iPhone. sure iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, another language another cool language yeah okay so um this language is called quiche 
and it was um, spoken by the Mayans in Guatemala. And what I love about this is if you're speaking to children, normally humans would kind of, in most languages, would kind of talk a little bit higher, mm. like a bit higher like that. And if you're speaking to someone, <laughs> if you're speaking to someone who's a higher status than you, you'd speak lower. But in their language, it's completely the opposite. So <laughs> when you're speaking to someone of a higher status, you put your voice in a higher pitch. Wow. So I think good. that's amazing. That's cool. I wow. want to do that. When you meet the queen, it's, oh, very nice to meet you. <laughs> and then it's, are you lost, little girl? <laughs> it's very creepy. <laughs> creepy place to be. I like there's a, um, there's a language called Tamayak or Tamajek, uh, spoken by the Tuareg. And they, so 1984, there was the Prince song, Purple Rain. There was also the movie Purple Rain. Yeah. They did a remake of that movie uh, 30 years later. Um so the exact movie, it was just a remake in their language. Unfortunately, in their language, they don't have a word for purple. So the movie was released as Rain the Color of Blue with a little red in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Piraha Brazil language, well, someone claimed has no numbers or colors in it. So my 20-month-old son could go there and rule the place. <laughs> That's pretty much all he can do. <laughs> you can't play snooker, can you? No. And, they, and also, which I don't understand, someone says, but this is controversial, it's the only language with no recursive, no recursion in it, which is the ability to insert phrases into phrases. But I didn't quite okay. grasp what that uh-huh. meant. Yeah. What you can't, you can't put a phrase in a phrase. So you can't say Daniel fucking Schreiber. Is that what it is? It's but... something along those lines. I think is... that's something we should adopt in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these guys, the Pirahas, are really cool. So their language is one of the most tonal languages in the world. So it's different kind of tones as you're speaking. And so a word which is hapapai, you can pronounce that kapapai or ha-ha-ai, or kaka-ai. It doesn't matter what the consonants are, it's just the tones. And so it means that you could kind of talk with your mouth full, or you can whistle words and stuff like that, because it's just about the tones, it's not about the consonants. Because it's it's like you've got um, blank Scrabble tiles that you can just put into the words (laughs) as you wish, as long as you get the bits in between right. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) It is a a bit like that. So when I was saying um, ha-papai, yeah. It's the same as saying I, I, right, or whatever. So right. no matter what kind of tone you make, that's yeah, something. that's yeah. very it's cool. cool that, isn't it? I like the Scrabble analogy though. I think that really worked well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <I understood that. laughs> Cheers. Sorry, Andy. I just, uh, no, no. I, I simply didn't understand. No. <laughs> James, it simply didn't make sense. <laughs> um, this is about linguistics, right? And so. Uh, it's about language. We're talking about language, yeah. um, how it's evolved. Just get to your very tenuously linked yeah. thing. Well, it's only because I was reading some Noam Chomsky stuff, who is obviously very related to like how language evolves, and I hate him. Um, and wow. I, I think he's so miserable. Uh, too so. much wine for Anna, I think. I, um, Anna, we can't get in another celebrity feud. No. Not with Noam Chomsky. <laughs> it's always after two glasses of wine, she starts slagging Noam Chomsky. It's every time. Fucking Noam. He feels the same about me. It's fun. But so Noam Chomsky is obviously like father of linguistics, this amazing like Einstein figure in the linguistics world. So I was on this linguistics forum. I was just looking up how languages evolved. And this forum put a big Chomsky quote at the top. And it was about the first article he'd ever written. So he wrote his first article when he was 10 years old. And it was about the, uh, he was like, the fascist forces had conquered Barcelona, essentially the end of the Spanish Civil War. And it was all about the spread of Nazi power and stuff. This guy was 10. So it's the top of this forum, this academic forum. 
this person posts this quote from him and it's like, thoughts, guys? And the comment immediately below it was, that sounds incredibly boring. Um, and then the comment below that was, when I was 10, I wrote about an evil jack-o'-lantern that terrorised kids on Halloween, but he had a heart of gold and was just misunderstood. <laughs> and then the entire rest of the thread is them analysing the jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound a lot better, doesn't yeah. it? Doesn't it? It sounds amazing. You'd rather read that? Definitely. Yeah. Good on them. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is Andy. My fact is that King George III once went to a safety demonstration which involved putting the king in a house and setting it on fire. Wow. Yeah. That doesn't sound very safe. It's extre- well, that was. I guess that's the that's the trick, yeah. isn't it, with the safety demonstration? You try and do something that looks unsafe, and you say, I've tricked you. You're quite and right. he survived, right? So it the was king survived for much, another yeah. 40 years, nearly. He's the longest reigning king. Is he the longest reigning king? The longest reigning king. Yeah, only really? Victoria and Elizabeth are uh, oh, both wow. queens. Ah. Ah. He's uh, 59 years. He was 59 years yeah. and 60 days or something he was the king for. Wow. Wow. Although, he wasn't very good at it, was he? <laughs> um, well, he lost America. He's been yeah. reassessed, I think, uh, a little bit yeah. over the year. I mean, I think he got a bad rap at the time. I mean, yeah. he was, there was Speaking a, of bad raps, have you seen Hamilton? <laughs> Uh, I, he's meant to be the best thing in Hamilton, uh, King George III. Oh, he's so um, good in it. But uh, <laughs> it's not him. He is dead now. He guys. is dead. He is dead now. <laughs> yeah, the extreme safety of the demonstration. <laughs> and his long it reign. Could, it couldn't keep him alive past the age of about 80, which he made it to. A lot so. of stuff went on in his... In, I was surprised, actually. I don't, I don't know very much about uh, that, that period of history, mm. even though I studied history. And I was surprised how much happened in his reign. And yeah, he lost a lot of stuff. As well as the plot yeah. being the main thing, yeah. which was actually very sad, wasn't it? Um, so he did go very mad. Mm. It was di- his illness was diagnosed as flying gout. Wow. Sorry, can I just say, I think Andy is desperate to tell us the story of this house on fire. No, yeah. no, no, we don't. We can go into the broader sociological implications of his reign. It's <laughs> oh, such an exciting story about the flaming house. Andy, please, back to the burning building. Yeah, yeah. Go. Well, How does that happen? It, so I should say where this comes from. This is a book called 1776, A London Chronicle, which is all about only stuff happening in 1776. Very busy year, lots of innovations, mm. lots of stuff going on. The American colonies on the brink of being lost, all mm. of this stuff. And there was a scientist called David Hartley who had this amazing new way of making a house fireproof. And it basically just involved putting iron plates in it all the way through, like a magician and a, a box, you know, where they yeah. put plates in. Um, so the king stood upstairs and flaming pitch destroyed the lower half of the house and he was absolutely fine. And wow. this happened on the very day that the news reached London of the American Declaration of Independence. <laughs> so it was, like, it was a big day for George III. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. Slightly spoilt the day, that, didn't it? You just have had this great day. I've stood upstairs in a burning house and I'm fine. <laughs> What's been happening while I've gone? <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the guy you're just talking about, David Hartley, um, he has a sort of long lasting legacy um, around the world. And, you know, we're here in the West End. Uh, he is the person who invented the fire curse that goes down in front of stages. Yeah, He hated fire, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) What's his problem with fire? Let the fire... Have a few fires. Uh, He was thought of as an eccentric because he didn't powder his hair when everyone else did. Who, George III or David Hartley? David Hartley. David Hartley. George III was thought as quite eccentric as well. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for other reasons. He also wore stockings with the feet cut out because he thought it was healthier. 
and that made you an eccentric in those days. Wow. Really? That is interesting. You didn't need to do much, did you? <laughs> <laughs> to be called an eccentric now, you need to work pretty damn hard. I've been trying for years. <laughs> yeah, and the house became popular. Um, and was was used throughout England. You know, the plates method spread across the country, but then other methods took over, which were more efficient and didn't involve putting huge iron plates all the way through the house. Okay. And then the house, the original house, the test house, very sadly caught fire. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, it had been extended beyond the safe bit. You know, so there was an extension, and yeah. that, that, so that extension caught fire and then collapsed onto the fireproof section, oh, and then that oh. caught fire. You needed some iron plates on the top <laughs> to stop that happening. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How do you talk a king into standing in a That's flaming a house? Question. I don't know. If he's mad, it's easy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they got the right king. You're right. Yeah. And I think he was going a bit mad around that time. He had a few bouts of madness through his life. Mm. One of them was just before the French Revolution. So that mm. must have been sort of around okay, about yeah. yeah. was a bit, a bit later than that. Um, yeah. When he, um, when he did start to lose his mind, at one stage in 1819, he spoke nonsense nonstop for 58 hours. It was at Christmas time as well, that Christmas, one. Yeah. Which, you know, that happens at my house with my dad. So. <laughs> it, it also says it was a bit racist. Um. <laughs> Going on about Brexit. And that's, not, that's not my dad. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like he really, really suffered. And obviously yeah. it wasn't understood nearly as much at the time. So, you know, he has this reputation. But he... he he did, obviously, a huge amount of stuff. He was a very interesting guy. He was a hobbyist. He wrote architectural journal articles under a pen name, secretly. Um, did he? He was interested in all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he had a huge um, capacity for wanting to know what was going on in his kingdom, I think. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. He had a weird marriage uh, mm. to a woman called Charlotte, Charlotte of Mecklenburg-Strelitz, uh, who was from this random German duchy, and... She was um, she was very parsimonious, known for being parsimonious. The only remnant we have of her is a dish called apple charlotte, apparently. Oh. And that's, apple charlotte is a pudding that uses up stale bread because she didn't want to waste anything. And she used to stamp butter with the royal signet so that the servants couldn't eat it to say, this is our butter, <laughs> wow. don't touch. Uh, she was famously ugly, and there was a quote about her... <laughs> This is suddenly tipped over into personal abuse. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like women haven't taken enough flack in history. Um, we've got to send some abuse their way. So she was famously hideous. And uh, one of the nobility said that as she got older, this is a famous quote, that as she got older, the bloom has at any rate gone off the queen's ugliness. Um, since she fell off this carriage and broke her nose, she's actually quite handsome. Wow. Yeah. But he, ma- he married her the day he met her, didn't he? Yes, I think they, he, they married right? on the day he met And he was baptised on the day he was born, George III, because he was two months premature, which at the time was, ah. like, you know, definitely you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. Said, yeah. But he wow. survived. Uh, but they had a very happy marriage. They were, he was faithful mm. to her, which, you know, if you, what's the point of being king? Yeah. Uh, if you're going to be faithful to your wife, that's, that's yeah. no point. And they had, like, 15 was children. Was he? Okay, I, so I'm just, I'm just almost making this up, I think. But I thought that in his madnesses, he... He actually did have affairs off the back of he was just in uh, a hyper state. He, right. he wasn't really aware. He was quite and old though. When I think he was when he properly was mad, he was like in his seventies and eighties. So I don't think he would have been much of a threat. And he was blind, so I don't. I think he might have. Well, he had, had a, a, go, a lot of affairs with walls, <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> and he shook hands with the tree, didn't he? Famously. Yes, so, oh, that's uh, true. He did. So yeah. you know, yeah. he might have been having affairs with flora and fauna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He he definitely did 
get off with her a lot. Yeah, fifteen children. Well, like nine boys. It's like it's like he stayed faithful to one woman, had fifteen children. It's a real fuck you to King Henry the Eighth, isn't it? It's like yes. <laughs> if you just stick with one, just keep ploughing away, and only one. I think thirteen of his children survived into adulthood. Yeah, I think so. Thirteen. Really, yeah, but he but so he later refused his daughters the ability to marry. He was mm. he was so he was really happy with his wife, but I think he was so worried about them making unsuitable marriages that. Um, he, only three of his daughters married, managed to marry in the end just because he was such a tyrant about it. And he passed a law saying that if you were a royal aged under 25, you could not marry without the express permission of the ruling sovereign. Mm-hmm. And that wow. law stayed in place until 2013. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was sceptical about marriage because his sister's marriage had gone very badly. Um, so his sister was Caroline Mathilde, and she'd married a guy called King Christian the Seventh of Denmark. Uh, when she was 15 and he was also quite mad um, and he hung her but he didn't like her at all the f- his 15 year old sister so he hung her portrait in his lavatory um, as a show of how he didn't like his wife so his wife yeah, his he, wife's portrait he hung his wife's portrait in the toilet and he was an obsessive masturbator he was very he was famous <laughs> did he do it in the toilet is that why the portrait was there I or? think the toilet was the only one he didn't do it oh um, okay. really yeah he was so the, his doc, he went to see doctors about this and doctors were always trying to stop him doing it but he once entered a feast with his trousers around his ankles um, and he had servants <laughs> manacle him and then beat him with rolls of paper um, and he visited England once and he visited all the brothels in London and then completely trashed St James's Palace and so wow. that was the per- the man that his sister married. What? Oh, okay. So oh, what? I think George the Third thought, well, marriage hasn't gone well for her. Let's protect women <laughs> from further excessive masturbation. Yeah, right. <laughs> so he saw a doctor. I'd love to hear the doctor transcript read that. Of, so, so the way to stop doing this is okay. You're masturbating. You're masturbating. Um, yeah, just put it back away. Okay. So yeah. So we have lots of medicines. We have like yeah. Okay, you're masturbating again. Um, we're just gonna have to put that away again. Okay. You're doing very good. Um, <laughs> it's very, it's difficult to stop. You know, you've got to be sympathetic. Hey, as a doctor. you don't need to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so Queen Charlotte, we were talking about. Yeah, um, she had a pet zebra, who was presented to her by the governor of the Cape in South Africa, uh, and it was known colloquially as the Queen's ass. Uh, and there was a massive scandal when the Queen's guard were caught charging people to expose the Queen's ass to public view. Uh, in 1764, the, and you guys are really holding this in very nicely, <laughs> the newspapers printed a story that the guard were charging people to see this, um, and then Queen Charlotte later bred this zebra by getting a male donkey and painting the back of it white and black stripes so that it thought that it was a zebra's wow. back. ass. Ass, yeah, yeah, exactly, and it worked. Wow, I'm going to try that with my own bottom. I'm going to paint my own bottom black and white and see if I can get a zebra to fuck me. That is what I'm going to do. I've always been quite obsessed with having sex with a nakapi, which is like a yeah, sort like of llamary zebra yeah. kind of thing. But from behind, it's got a very nice. It looks like a sort of. You've l- always been well, no, obsessed. I'm just, <laughs> and they've got. I've, I was obsessed with the nakapi before. I said, I've been seeing the nakapi quite a few times in London Zoo. <laughs> from behind, it's like it's got a very like leopard skin trouser, right? You know, right. so it looks like a lady's hindquarters. So that's nice. And then I've realised as well, the nakapi's got a very long tongue. So you could be there. And then the car. <laughs> if I had to have sex with an animal, that's your it number one. I don't think this sounds I like an if I had to situation. I think there's too much thought that's gone I had into this. To have to be- an animal have sex with me, I would paint my bottom black and white. Yeah. It's just the one I would. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, it's it's fat, Andy. You still? <laughs> we, we've all got one. 
Do just, they let you in London Zoo they anymore? Do, they do. <laughs> I'm, a member of, I'm a member of London Zoo. I'm sure it's, I can go anytime I oh, like. God, it's a new meaning to the word member of London Zoo. <laughs> wow. Okay. Good. Well, this as long as you donate on. enough, they let you masturbate freely <laughs> outside. What are you donating? <laughs> They're hoping I'm going to create a new hybrid creature that they can put in. <laughs> Imagine if it was successful. Oh God, the herring, the herring <laughs> zebra, <laughs> the herring okapi. <laughs> um, Good. Well, sorry, I've taken, well, the tone, I've taken the tone down. No, 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 no. Let's bring the tone back up. It is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that female hyenas say hello by licking each other's clitorises. Mm. Crikey. <laughs> An uncompromisingly yeah. direct greeting, I would say. <laughs> I just now feel like we're giving Richard ideas for his next trip to the zoo. Yes, I'm just saying quite very nicely. <laughs> Is that why the other the male hyenas are always laughing just out of sort of <laughs> awkwardness and excitement? <laughs> okay, so this fact was sent to me by text. Um, <laughs> anonymously. Anonymously. By Mr. R. Herring. <laughs> Uh, when we're on tour, uh, there was no name attached, but the phone number ends with 067, so you know who you are. Yeah, that's uh, nearly my number. <laughs> uh, I confirmed it in a book called Wild Sex, The Science Behind Mating in the Animal Kingdom by Karen Bondar. And yeah, it seems that it does happen. So when females um, arrive and see each other, they stand in a parallel position facing in opposite directions, lift their hind legs, uh, display their fully erect clitorises to each other, and then they smell and lick them. And this is because female hyenas have extremely large clitorises. Do they ever smell them and not lick them? <laughs> they smell them. No. <laughs> Sorry. That's, just, that's not as very awkward in the hyena world. <laughs> It's like, you know, when you give someone a high five and they don't give you a high yeah. five back. It's exactly like that. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and um, this happens between um, dif- females of different ranks and depending on who licks first, depends on who is the most highest ranking. Mm. And, and they have, they're like seven inches long, aren't they? About seven inches long, yeah. their they they're, they're, they're essentially a penis in appearance and they get... Um, erections so when when they're copulating they get erections and they also have a labia that's fused to look like testes it actually does seem a bit like zoologists have got the genders the wrong way around it does except, except that they give birth through them and then they give birth through them and so that clarifies things yes and when it's a, a horrific mm, birth yeah, yeah. yeah. The, like the, I think it's the only animal birth that's worse than humans because humans are not very well adapted to give birth because really? we've got um, really? our hips are too narrow um, and our heads are too big essentially and so our birth is much much more traumatic than almost any other animal but hyenas it is worse because you are giving birth through a penis yes there's two types of erections which is very useful to know there's a social erection and a sexual erection. Oh. Is this what I've got here, this is a social erection. <laughs> <laughs> and now I've got, now I know about that. That's a good thing to know. Unless anyone fancies having sex, in which case it can just turn very quickly into a sexual what, erection. The, what, where does it, where's the just turn? If you're interested in, ah, if you're interested, okay. it suddenly is a sexual erection. In my case, I don't know if that's the case. Where does it turn? It turns just as you walk past the large ungulate <laughs> section of the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> It's very 
very difficult for the males, the true males, to mate as well. So they have to practice a lot because being able to get your genuine penis into this long clitoris is a tough gig. It's like darts. And so that it's, it takes about two months practice no. from male hyenas really? before you are able to penetrate properly. Yeah, and they're like probably like crouching behind them and trying to point the penis the right way. Two months of... Yeah. 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 Oh, you say that, but George the Third's brother-in-law was practicing for a lot longer <laughs> than that. <laughs> <laughs> but 60% of hyena cubs suffocate on the way out. No. No. Yeah, yeah it's so what? sad. Yeah. More than half, because you're in this long tube. Holy moly. It's crazy. There's all sorts of hyena mythology because of the the fact they're so weird. Um, Mm -hmm. So, uh, and and just beliefs about them. So Pliny the Elder, uh, friend of the show, he said that... (laughs) uh, (laughs) Keep writing in. Um, He said that hyenas are capable of calling people by name because they're quite weird. They are weird. They sound slightly human in the way they laugh. Yeah. Calling people by name and then killing you when you go outside. So they will lure you out. So you'll think someone's calling you. Pliny. Pliny the Elder. Pliny the Elder. Get that hyena out of here. <laughs> There's also in mythology, have you heard of so werewolves? There's were hyenas. Oh. Yeah, which is very exciting. But they have a different thing. They have so your classic werewolf yeah. will obviously be your wolf. Uh, yeah. Sorry, a human that turns into mm. a wolf. Yeah. With the were hyena, it's often a hyena that turns into a human. Right. So at nighttime on a full moon, you yeah. might be talking to a human. And they will yeah. not be socialized at all. No. Because they spend five sixths of their time as as hyenas. Yeah. yeah. And so their it, penis might be a clitoris. That's yeah. true. Yeah, their greetings. You can tell you've met one <laughs> <laughs> immediately. As soon as they walk into a party, you yeah. know it's them. Uh, they must be disappointed how hard it's to find the human clitoris, though. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? What's it's not even here. <laughs> Oh, I guess a lot of sympathy from fellow men at the party at that point. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, Walter Raleigh thought that hyenas were so disgusting that Noah refused to let them on the ark, and the species was only resurrected after an unnatural copulation between a dog and a cat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's not as terrifying as the Richard Herring <laughs> London Zoo Capu creature. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some clitoris facts. Yes, please. Oh, please. Um, the clitoris is the only part of the human body that never ages. A 20-year-old clitoris and an 8-year-old clitoris are so identical. You, so what? you can't count the rings. The same. <laughs> they get slightly bigger sometimes throughout life, but then they don't look... They don't wrinkle, I guess. Is oh, the, wow. That wow. is a really good That's yeah. extraordinary. Well, that's, that. that's, yeah. And also, I was surprised, clitoris, the word clitoris only dates, for that, only dates back to the 17th century, is something I read. And uh. then the word clit has only, only came up in America in the 1950s. So it took 200 years, 300 <laughs> years for someone to shorten clitoris. They were saying uh. clitoris for a long time before did, someone thought, this is a mouthful. Do we know if it had a... <laughs> let's, let's shorten that to clit. <laughs> do we know if it had a meaning before? I think, it's a, before. But I think it is a, a Latin word. And I did look that up, oh, but I haven't um, got it here. I think it means hood in Latin. Yeah, oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. Yes. So it would have had a different meaning. Yeah. Just a monk would, I guess, go around with a... With a clitoris on his head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what the Romans called a clitoris, if they didn't call it a clitoris. Well, one would have thought it's related to the fact that women weren't thought to be... Uh, they weren't thought to have any organs yeah. that would experience <laughs> They weren't thought to have organs, they weren't they? They weren't thought to have organs. <laughs> <laughs> they could experience sexual pleasure or anything. But actually, that's often a myth. Like it, they often did. Like I think in ancient Greek 
Uh, in ancient Greece, women often talked about the pleasure you get from sex. So there must have been a concept of a clitoris. Yeah. What was it called? Greek? Any Greeks listening? Plenty, if you could ask your mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it called a whipple tickle or something? We always get that fact sent. Oh, that was us. supposedly what the G spot was going to be called. Oh, Because it, it okay. was Dr. Something. Was it Beverly Whipple? Who um, came no, up with it? No, it was a doctor. His name started with G. The reason the G spot's called the G spot is because it's named after a doctor, and it's something like Geisner. Gavin. It starts with G. Yeah. Gavin. I <laughs> thought, should we call it the Gavin? Why? <laughs> <laughs> If I discovered I wanted to have my whole name, I wouldn't be called the R spot. I wanted to be the Richie spot. That's what <laughs> Not I'd the want. R spot. The, R spot. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Gavin. It would stop serving its purpose immediately <laughs> if you called it the Gavin. <laughs> okay, that is it. That is all our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James at James Harkin, Andy at Andrew Hunter M, Rich at Herring1967, and Chazinski. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep, that's right. Or you can go to our group account at No Such Thing or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. We have lots of blah, blah, blah. That's not the website to go to. Go to richardherring.com slash gigs. That is where you will find all the upcoming dates for Richard Herring's podcast. He's going to be in Edinburgh. So all through August, he's going to be there. He's got all of his tour dates. And it's also got a link to the episode that we went on of his podcast. It goes out on the 24th of July. If you're listening after then, just go to his site. You can find that episode. We had an amazing time chatting to him about us generally he made us say weird things check it out um okay that is it that is all of our facts we'll see you again next week goodbye goodbye